Am I on? Hey. As Cameron mentioned, we are uh, kind of a working experiment here uh, at Zao, trying to build church from the ground up, do things a little bit differently. Um, and that means that sometimes we're doing things for the first time or we're encountering problems for the first time. So thank you for bearing with us as we um, do this work together. Again, my name is Jonah, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am the pastor here at Zao, where we have been in a series talking about lies we learned in church. Now this one, this week, we're talking about the devil. And we called this, the devil has a pitchfork. Because we're talking about evil. And I think a lot of us have gotten this particular picture of the devil or a picture of evil in our minds. This kind of cartoonish, creepy little man who is always uh, perched on a shoulder or, or raging down in hell. And that has dominated Christian imagery in our culture. And, and it has served as a sort of boogeyman that, that keeps us afraid or that we kind of dismiss altogether because it's really, let's be honest, pretty ridiculous. So I want to talk about, though, the idea of the supernatural. I believe in the supernatural, and I hope you do too. But I don't believe in it in the way that our culture sort of characterizes it in that way. Here, here are some things I believe. I believe that the God of the universe is a force of love and power that is eternal and personal and beyond comprehension. I believe that Jesus, who is God, is an expression of God's unfathomable love for us, bound up with our own humanity, come to be with us, to teach us, to, to be with us, to lead us to wholeness and healing. I believe that the church, this body of people, comes together in and through that divine and holy power of Jesus who is God. And that when we join together, there is something between us, there is something among us that transforms everything. We are more than the sum of our parts. And I can feel the energy in this room, especially when we are truly alive to God, to the Holy Spirit, and it is a miracle. I believe that love is an intangible force that changes individual people, transforms relationships among people, and can alter the course of history. And that is why I'm here with you, because I believe that in this world there is something more than meets the eye, and it is beautiful and powerful and cannot be ignored. I believe in the supernatural. I believe in the spiritual. That's not to say that I don't believe in science. I believe science is pretty great. I'm very, I'm very into science, and I think that science and rationality and belief and hope and spirituality actually all come together to give us the fullest picture we have of this beautiful creation. I believe in the supernatural and the spiritual. But I don't know what I believe about the devil. And really, that's a half-truth, right? I, I don't know what I think about the devil. I can't make sense of evil being this like palpable force in the way that love is. But, but the reason that's a half-truth, that I don't know what I believe about the devil, is that I don't know, while I don't know what I think about it and I can't always make sense of it, I actually know what I experience of evil. 
And it doesn't always make sense to me, but I know, in the same way that I know that the force of love is real, I know that the force of evil is real. And it's not hard to notice. Here at Tao, we talk about evil in the world a lot. We focus here a lot on structures of evil, systemic oppression, hate, injustice. The first time I really made sense of evil at a systemic level, of this thing, this, this force that's beyond any one person or institution, was when I heard secular Marxists talking about capitalism. And, and Marx, uh, Karl Marx has this really in-depth critique and analysis of capitalism and of capital itself, which is the accumulation of wealth through production um, that is sort of hoarded by some while it is generated by many. And capitalism, in Marx's analysis, sort of takes on a life of its own. It's got this impulse towards expansion. And, and it creeps. You know, you, you hear even folks who are advocates of the free market talking about the invisible hand of the market. It's this force, it's this thing that, that compels itself, that even if individual actors sort of act against it, the forces of the market, the forces of the expansiveness of capitalism, the forces that compel accumulation, these things will, will just continue without some, some huge outside intervention. They, they take on a life of their own. And in my imagination, as I'm hearing these people talk about this, I start thinking of the oil monster from Fern Gully. <laughs> Anybody uh, ever watch Fern Gully? It, it's like almost before my time. But Fern Gully was this, uh, was this cartoon, and, and the, the evil character in the cartoon was related to to oil production, but it just, it like, it wasn't just the, the machinery cutting down trees or the drilling, it was like it came together as this figure called Hexus, and it just, it like creeped. And it, it, it was fed by the acts of human beings who were either malicious or ignorant, but it had a will of its own and it just took on this force. And who knows where it originated in that process. But it gathered that force like a parasite. It, it glommed onto the actions of human beings and grew. And then it exists outside of us. And it needs to feed. And it feeds often on fear and scarcity. And so these kind of twin images of one of the, the economic forces in our world that creates so much injustice, and this image from my childhood of this monster kind of came together to say like, yes, I get that. I get this concept how, how things could come together not only for good, but things kind of accumulate toward evil and feed and grow. Those evil structures tend to feed on fear and fear of scarcity but they grow and they feed and they grow. And then suddenly there's something so much bigger than any one act or even set of acts that now they're a force that we have to reckon with. There are other forces of evil in our world. Things are directly opposed to love because perfect love, scripture tells us, drives out fear. But evil thrives on fear, feeds on it. White supremacy is an evil that grabbed hold of our country before its inception and has been waging war against life and love and God ever since. Misogyny and rape culture are forces of their own 
self-generating, self-perpetuating, demanding some sort of intervention, some sort of opposition. The Bible describes our experience as one of battle, one of war. In Ephesians, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly spaces. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist and put on the breastplate of righteousness. As your shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all these, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And that is some wild imagery, right? And it's one of battle, one of violence. But it's confusing because it's like, okay, prepare for violence by putting on your truth belt, right? Shield yourself against evil with, with faith. But they're trying, this, the author of this letter is trying to tell us that the war that we are waging is real and must be fought with unconventional means. There was, I've referenced before um, sometimes these, these songs that got taught to me as a kid. Um, and, and there's one uh, that had a lot of hand motions. It was about the devil. I'm going to share it with you today. So there's, there's, a whole, there's a whole bit to it, but the part that I remember is, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan. <laughs> yes, God will crush him. Where? Underneath your feet. Anybody know that? Perhaps only my sibling who is here. <laughs> God will crush him underneath your feet. But the God of peace will soon crush Satan. We have this clashing imagery all of the time that says we are at war, we are in battle, and we fight with peace. What? We are waging war against evil that comes at us with flaming arrows, and we defend ourselves with love. We defend ourselves with truth, with faith, with steadfastness. Now, to say that we wage a spiritual war against these things, against things like racism and misogyny, is to take seriously some important things. One, how truly destructive these forces are in our world. Two, how they have grown beyond the power of individuals and must be fought not only among our most intimate relationships and internal to ourselves, but also throughout the world, throughout the systems that structure our world. And three, that it is our divine intervention that is our obligation to intervene on this, this battle, not with our own violence, but with faithfulness and love and steadfastness and truth. Evil is real, and we have to fight it every day. And when the Bible talks about the devil, 
I see the devil in capitalism, in white supremacy, in misogynist violence, and so much more. If you want to read about this and explore more deeply that idea of the devil or the demonic or evil or powers and principalities as they manifest in these systems of oppression and evil, I want to direct you towards an incredible theologian named Walter Wink. He wrote a couple of books, Naming the Powers and The Powers That Be, are both great places to start. Again, his name is Walter Wink. And those are really incredible and powerful ideas. And I feel like if I spent the rest of this sermon talking about that, about the way that evil manifests in these systems of oppression, you'd be with me for that whole sermon. But there are many people who are content to end there, to locate evil and the devil and demonic only as institutional powers that must be fought. And that just doesn't sit right with me, so I want to go deeper with you. As I was reading and researching this topic, I came across two pretty firm and clear and independent camps. The first one is this idea of, yes, there is one, there is the, the devil named Satan or Lucifer or whatever. One personal force for evil that is responsible for all of the things um, that controls our lives, and you have to be vigilant because the devil is probably talking to you, probably controlling your life, probably coming after you. And those camps can skew very, very quickly into control and manipulation, to a misunderstanding of what actually is evil and what is something that makes them uncomfortable. Right? These are the ways that, that the idea of the devil can become a tool of abuse because someone can say, hey, this thing that, that I don't like or I don't understand, that's of the devil. And, and it just moves human experience into one firm category of that is of the devil and there is nothing left to say. I imagine many of us in this room have been hurt by such practices when we've been told that our love is of the devil, or our sexuality is of the devil, or our tattoos, or our music, or our art, right? So one of those camps, that's the danger there. That, that the idea of the devil as this one single boogeyman can be used to control and manipulate and harm people. But that camp takes very seriously that there is evil to be contended with in the world. And, and that we need to be attentive to it. And so I want us to hold on to that piece while rejecting this, this manipulation and control. It's one, this, this camp falls most quickly into that fear, that fear of scarcity. And, and then that evil kind of self-generates, right? But the second camp is one that says, I reject this idea altogether as stupid and uncomfortable, and I prefer to see evil merely as the absence of goodness or the brokenness of human hearts. To me, this feels like a, a pattern of avoidance and, and something that basically says, I exempt myself from having to fight evil on an interpersonal level because that's just a cartoon, that's just a fairy tale that I've been told, and there's nothing to it. And that allows us to turn a blind eye to the, the war that we have been invited to wage peace in. It does not take seriously that evil, or if it does, and this is really insidious, if it does, it actually turns it back on us. 
Because if you believe in spirituality and the spiritual realm only insofar as you believe in love, but you don't believe that there are any forces of evil outside humanity, then pretty quickly you can end up in a place where everything good in the world is a gift of God, and anything bad in the world is your own failure. And so in a bizarre way, it's another form of control, of saying, I have control over this, no one is controlling me about it. But it ends up looping that back in on ourselves to say, well, I am subject to love, but any evil is of my own making. And it doesn't allow us to wage peace in that spiritual war, because it turns it back on us. And it says that we are that source of evil, always. And in the same way that I, I truly believe that the way of God is love and that the way of humanity is to respond to that invitation of love and participate, the way of evil is hate. And the way of humanity is to respond to invitations or not of hate. So when we, when we erase that choice by saying either this, does, this camp doesn't exist, and so all I have is to respond to the invitation of love or act out of my own evil heart. That seems really erasing and confusing. Or when we say, well, the devil is in charge of all of these things, and I don't have a choice, right? The devil made me do it. It ignores our responsibility to choose the ways of love. So I think that there are important ways to talk about evil that name the power they have in our world, in our relationships, in our hearts, without exempting us from the responsibility and the ability to choose the ways of love if we rely on one another and God. So the idea of the devil having a pitchfork, I wanna come back to that image. As far as I can tell, there is no one Satan in a red suit with a pitchfork, presiding over hell, doing like this, cackling with glee, stroking a goatee. That doesn't exist, as far as I can tell. It's pretty ridiculous. It's cultural, it's not what the Bible describes. And it actually comes a lot from other images of art and literature that we're gonna get into next time we gather as we talk about hell. It's a kind of straw man argument, if you ask me. This is where somebody sets up a false, ridiculous argument just to knock it down. We have turned the devil into a cartoon because it's easier to say it's this ridiculous thing that we can dismiss than actually confront the evil in our lives and in ourselves. There's a great book, a complicated book, as many of them are, um, by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. And I'm, some murmuring makes me think that some of you have encountered this text before. It's, it's a fictional book, uh, and it's, it's written in the form of letters written by one demon to another around the task of convincing a human being um, that there is no God and, uh, you know, taking that human being off the path of love. So the demon Screwtape is writing to Wormwood about his patient, and he says, uh, they're talking uh, in particular right now about whether it is better to believe or disbelieve in demons. Um, and, and he says, the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. That is, help you demon wormwood in your effort to thwart 
the goodness in this person's life. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights, and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it is an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. I feel like this image that we have of the devil laughing in the, in the dark corners, trying to throw us off at every turn, is a way of diverting our attention, actually, from the evil forces in our world. Because that's silly. And that's not how, that like is so in contrast to how God works, that's not how, how we encounter the spiritual realm. And so it, it throws us off. And it seems like the only sensible thing to do is say, well, there's no, that's not a thing, right? But that's the counterpart to, we've been talking about a little bit, the idea of just the bearded white dude in the clouds. That too is silly and weird. And so we reject those ideas, but we can't just reject that idea. We have to explore further. What is it? What is it that humanity has been talking about and naming at some level for our entire existence when we say the devil or demons or Satan or evil? There is something there. What damage does it do to us if there is something in our life that we are choosing to ignore? And here in the United States, we do this at our own peril, partly fueled by another evil, white supremacy and colonialism. If you go to other parts of the world, the conversations around the demonic are completely different. And I have found, for instance, that most of the people in my life who are very firmly convinced of our need to confront evil in a very personal way are people who have spent time in Africa or South America. People who have said, there are experiences that I cannot deny and I now need to cope with. And no, it doesn't make sense and I gotta make sense of it somehow. So we can't just ignore it, or if we do so, we do it at our own peril. Again, many of us do believe that there is something more than meets the eye in our world. We believe in the spiritual forces of love and goodness. And I think that a big part of this project here as church, as community, as followers of Jesus, as seekers of that love, is actually to attune ourselves to what's going on in the spiritual realm. So I want to start with that goodness again. We attune ourselves to the goodness of God through our work here. That is a lot of what we're trying to do. And in my experience, those things can be very, very subtle. I tell a story sometimes about being a child and at a really, really rough moment in my own life, seeing a candle glow brighter and feeling warmed and feeling like I wasn't alone. I know that some of us feel uh, a moving of the Spirit of God or a connection to the spiritual realm when we're in worship, when there's music, when there's prayer, when something happens and you just feel a little bit for a second a flickering of being connected to something bigger than yourself. There was a time in my life when somebody was praying over me Regularly, we would meet regularly, she would lay a hand on me and pray out loud, and I would imagine things. And it was my own imagination driving this, but there was something special about it, something true underneath and around it that felt spiritually powerful. This is what I like to call attunement. We are attuning ourselves to the work of God, to that presence of love, that power of love and grace in the world and in ourselves. It is the project 
of, of faith and faith community as we seek to, to be more aligned with love than not. I was talking to a member of this community about it uh, many, many months ago, and, and we were talking about how to look out for it. And the image that we came up with is it's like fireflies at dusk. You see just these little glimmers, and then you start to look for it, and you see more of it and more of it, and it guides your way, and you realize there's a whole world around you that is vibrant and alive that you want to be a part of, and you can. Now, we can't take for granted that all of these things are aligned with God. Just because we feel warm fuzzies doesn't mean that they are of God, and so that's why we do um, biblical work together and, and study. That's why we talk to one another and discern collectively. But this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to connect ourselves with the love of God. I think it is similarly true for the subtleties of the energies of evil. Sometimes it's just that pit in your stomach when you know something is wrong. I went into a church recently that has had a lot of trauma and turmoil, and there was something in the air that I was like, oh, yikes. Like, this needs to be cleared. There is something here that doesn't belong. There is something disjointed about this space that it is not aligned with the ways of love. About a week ago, I was praying for a friend of mine, and we were praying about something altogether unrelated, and I had to switch my prayer halfway through because I was like, while my hand is on you, I feel, I have this image, I feel like you're just encased in like jello. That, that your access to God is just limited. That there's something happening here. And afterward we talked about it and she was like, yes, that is exactly what it feels like. It just feels like the substance between me and God is too thick. These subtle, these subtle experiences of like noticing that we are aligned not with the love of God but with something else. But again, we can't take for granted that those things are aligned with evil. That's how we fall into that trap of that's of the devil. You're of the devil. is by letting our own biases dictate what we construe with evil. Right? We need to study. We need to talk with one another. We need to share this together. There are big forces of spiritual warfare too. There are times in my life when I have felt opposition to the project of love in my life. And sometimes it kicks up when stuff is going really good. Sometimes it kicks up when you're about to do something really risky or when you've already done it. When I first got to Milwaukee and I came to start this community, a bunch of stuff went really wrong in my life. Like a bunch, like violently wrong. I severed a couple tendons in my foot. I broke my wrist, my car was stolen. That was all in the span of three months. And, you know, it's very easy to just say, like, oh, yeah, stuff's going wrong. <laughs> stuff's going wrong. And there were some people in my life who were like, evil doesn't like what you're about to be up to. And, and it's confusing, right? Because you're like, okay, maybe, I don't know, that seems weird. But I know that there was some weird stuff going on in my life, and whether or not it was an outside force, I was falling out of alignment with love and into alignment with destruction. Because while all of that was happening in my life, I was also becoming really, really depressed and isolated. There was one room in my house in particular. It was the room that I had chosen as my bedroom, even though it was a huge house. 
And I remember just being in there in the summer. In the, in the summer, it was bright out and energy all over Milwaukee. You know, Milwaukee explodes in the summer. My curtains were drawn, and I would just lay there in the dark and stare at my ceiling for hours. And I felt so trapped, so paralyzed. Friends would call, and I would ignore their calls. Eventually, I met a kid in my neighborhood who had lived in my house previously, and he started telling me about what used to go on in that house. And there were a lot of really scary, really awful things that he had lived through in that space. And he told me stories of, oh yeah, this cabinet is where uh, you know, the plates were smashed against as they were thrown across the room. This is where there was a hole punched in the wall. There was a string of abusive partners of one of his parents. And all of that was sort of centered in that one bedroom where, where those relationships resided. A couple months after I had been living there, um, I went to Standing Rock. So Standing Rock was this, uh, this camp that was set up in the Dakotas as folks were trying to protect water rights for native communities. And Standing Rock was this incredible space, very much alive with the power of goodness and love and the energy of God. And it was vibrant, and there was nobody there who was afraid to talk about the spiritual forces of good and evil. We had to be saged before we did or said anything. And this is, you know, taking a bundle of sage and burning it, which is a very um, powerful traditional practice, and then you kind of cover yourself in that smoke. And I remember being there and being with people that I trusted, being aligned, attuned to that energy of God, and on my way home, I was there with a group of seminary students um, and a, a former professor of mine, and, so, uh, and he's a good friend. So Tim and I were in the front of this van. We were driving a van caravan, and, uh, and they were driving down to Chicago. They were gonna drop me in Milwaukee. But I, at some point, kind of admitted <laughs> to Tim what was going on. I think I'm experiencing some real evil in my life, and I don't know what to do with it. And as we talked about it, we both were sort of like, yeah, does not compute. I don't know how to make sense of this, but it was real. And the more we seek God, the more we realize there are things that we don't know, things that we can't articulate but must confront. And every tradition has some way to do this. So we started talking about what are the ways that we confront evil? What are the ways that we confront the demonic in our lives? And in our tradition, some of what you do is you invoke the name of Jesus Christ and you pray. So when we got to Milwaukee, Tim and then another friend, Rick, came inside. They didn't even tell the rest of the caravan what we were doing. They were like, hang tight. Uh, we're dropping Jonah off. We'll be back in a few. And they came into the house. Now, this was Zhao House. Some of you have been here. Um, we used to, to hold gatherings there. And so I said, I want to take you to the most holy place in this house, which at the time was this sort of room on the second level where we, we would normally gather for Echo. I was like, this space is safe. So they prayed over me. And we prayed together, we prayed powerfully that the, the space would be more aligned with God and attuned with God, and that we would be protected. And then on their way out, they went downstairs, and Tim didn't, had never been to this house before. I didn't tell him anything specifically about the bedroom, didn't know where, there were three bedrooms in the house. Beelined for that one bedroom, without speaking to me, crossed it, and then they left, because they were like, they had to get back to this caravan. There is something 
There is something that we need to attend to. And we are so good at ignoring it. Now, we talk here all the time about attending to goodness, attending to God, attending to perfection. And also, when we do that, we have to start taking seriously evil in the world. What is the point of all of this evil energy? Well, the Bible calls uh, the, the term Satan actually just means the adversary, and the Bible uses it in a couple of different ways, not pointing to any one particular person, but it's, it's this adversarial relationship to God. And so I think of it as anything, any force that stands in opposition to God's project of love, healing, and reconciliation. The plan of the adversary is to thwart the plans of God. So any fracturing of relationship in the world, wounding with violence and injury, and above all, isolation from love, these are the projects of evil. Just as God's project is reconciliation of all things, intimate loving relationship, and healing from the wounds of separation. So put another way, if Jesus calls us to love God, self, and neighbor, then the call of the devil is anything that works against that love. And this is why we have our text today, the one that says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. The author of that letter calls out specifically the powers of death and the principalities of the world, these forces that were named elsewhere as spiritual forces of evil, that even those, no matter how insidious, no matter how subtle, no matter how big, they cannot actually win. They cannot actually separate us from the love of God because Jesus, who came, who came to be with us even through death, has already defeated those powers of evil. So one of the reasons we don't cower at the thought of the devil, one of the reasons that we can't be controlled or manipulated by the thought of the devil is because God has already won. Victory has already been claimed because Jesus says nothing can truly, truly separate you from my love. And also, we live in this world that is already the kingdom of God and not yet. And so we work. And I know so many of you are out there fighting against systemic evil, fighting against the demonic institutions that are against God's project of love. And we need to oppose those with the confidence that God's love will win out and the kingdom will come. And also, we need to fight those powers of separation interpersonally among us and internally to ourselves. Anything that separates us from God is evil and must be opposed, must be rebuked, must be called out. And if you don't want to call that the devil or demons, fine, great. But call it evil. Rebuke it. Claim the victory of love, which nothing can separate us from. We have some instructions about how to do this. As I mentioned before, every tradition has some instructions about how to do this. The ones that I find most interesting are the ones that have material components that take seriously that we're living in a real physical world. Those are things like sage that I mentioned, holy water. There are some traditions that use salt to cleanse. But all of these traditions are rituals that bring us together. Jesus says to invoke his name, to remind us that we are not alone. The letter says to imagine a shield, your faith as a shield protecting you against evil, protecting you in the love of God. Prayer is this incredibly powerful thing. 
Because not only does it strengthen our relationship with God to say we are not alone when we fight evil, but it invites others to be in that with us. We are not alone. And so, whether the evil in your life is experienced most acutely in these systems of power, or in an abusive relationship, or in the intrusive thoughts in your own self that you are not good enough, rebuke it, name it, call it out as evil, as not of you, as not of God, as not of love. Invite other people to be in it with you. Say, hey, this is not right, this is not real, and this is not ultimately the victory of God's love in our world. The thing I want to leave you with is probably the thing that messed me up most in seminary, which is, <laughs> they tell you not to go to seminary because it'll screw up all your ideas about God and your theology. And uh, the one thing that really threw me for a loop was when I was in a class with a professor who was talking about demons and the demonic, and he was being very bold to say, like, these things are real and need to be explored and rebuked and claimed. And then he said, but we believe in a God of redemption. We believe in a God who reconciles all things to one another. So do we believe that even demons can be redeemed? And I realized in that moment that I do, that I do, because I think that in that passage, when Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, he's actually speaking about all creation. I do believe that the victory has won. I do believe that we live in light of God's love and grace. And we claim that love for ourselves, for all people, for the people and institutions still entrenched in that evil, and that as we align ourselves to the love of God, we do so with the faith that God's love is coming for us, that our, God's love is relentless, is reckless, will not be stopped, even to the point of redeeming every last drop of creation. And that is a powerful, powerful way to wage peace to say we believe that God's love will win. And so, instead of ignoring or dismissing this idea that has become childish and cartoonish, I ask you to join with me, to stand with me in this fight for love, to attune ourselves to love, to alert ourselves to the ways of evil in the world, to stand against them and claim them in the name of love that they might be transformed, not only at the system's level, but even in our own hearts because every last piece of you is worth loving, is worth redeeming, and is already claimed and loved by God. Will you join me in prayer? God of love, power, and might, gods whose power is so different than the powers of this world. God, we pray that your power would be made manifest here that we could see the truth and claim it, that we could see the falsehoods of the world and rebuke them, that we could grow together in your love. God, we pray that we would not shy away when we see evil in our hearts, in one another, and in the structures of, of the world. But God, that we could call them out for what they are, see them as, an, as inadequate, know that we are not held captive by them. God, and call on your name for rescue because we know that you will be there, that nothing can separate us from your love, which comes in the end to redeem all things. Amen. I invite you to, again, stand with us if you are able to do that. Um, and sing